Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. Thank you for joining me yet again, parents, teachers, clinicians. I appreciate your constant attention to the ever-changing world and the ever-changing information on mental health behavior and these teens that struggle so badly. Uh, we got a good show for you today, and I'm really excited. Kyle Mitchell's with us, uh, and we're going to talk about anxiety, but we're going to talk about anxiety from the survivor expect, uh, perspective. We're going to talk about anxiety with someone who grew up with it, lived with it. Um, what's it like? How's it go? Let's let's really try to understand. This is not just a question about resilience and, oh, what's wrong with this generation? They just need to toughen up and be more resilient and blah, blah, blah. We've had that conversation many a times about resilience. Let's understand as parents the difference between willingness and capability. Let's understand the difference between crisis and manipulation and really look at anxiety and its effects, the detriment, the body experience of being anxious and having social anxiety from someone who grew up with it. As always, the listening, liking, subscribing, sharing, and leaving a review for Beyond Risk and Back is extremely helpful and helps parents who need this get this and see this that's just how we share the work so welcome to beyond risk and back let's talk to kyle kyle welcome to the show thank you very much for being on the show with us yeah thank you for having me on aaron excited to talk mental health talk anxiety especially for the youth i'm super passionate about that yeah this is good i i saw recently that now especially after the covid pandemic lockdown that we're still navigating that uh clinical anxiety the the clinical de definition of anxiety is now affecting one out of every four adolescents between the age of 13 yeah and 18 we were talking about children we're talking about the clinical concept of social anxiety and what children are reporting um and you grew up with this so i think you're the perfect person for our parents to listen to so appreciate your your brutal honesty and your your tips techniques tools and tactics to help parents help their help their teens so let's just start with who are you, Kyle? How did you end up here, and what was life like being Kyle? Yeah, so I'll just I'll just start from the beginning. I mean, I I struggled with social anxiety and really just general anxiety my entire life as long as, as long as I can remember. Um, you know, as early as five years old. Of course, I didn't understand what it was at five years old, or even what it was at high school. But I really had to face it, and I really met a large challenge, the hardest challenge, and also the best challenge of my life when I transferred from a really small private school with about 200 students in it to a very large public school with about 1,600 students in it. Wow. And so, yeah, as you can imagine, this is quite the culture shock, especially for someone like me who struggled with social anxiety. You know, I'm going to a school that you know, I've never been to, I, I knew no one at the school. I, I've never been to a public school. It was just a, a scary thing for me. And I remember that that first day, I quickly realized that the bus dropped me off 40 minutes before my first class even started. So during that time, you know, most people are socializing, chatting with their friends. I didn't have that. I didn't know what to do. So I quickly had to come up with a plan in my head and I was like, okay, how can I blend in? How can I keep the spotlight off me that I felt like was on me all the time? 
So what I started to do was just walk the halls over and over again and just giant circles. And so I just kept doing that constantly. And like I said, did this every single morning for 40 minutes until that first bell rang. And it's worked really well. You know, I thought no one would ever be able to tell. I'm just going to be able to blend in super easy. You know, I'm good. And then one day, of course, I got I got called out on it. Uh, I got on the bus to head home from school and somebody called me out in front of everybody and said, why do you walk the halls and circles every morning? And I had that feeling that we're all too familiar with of when your heart just feels like it drops into its stomach. Right. I just felt so embarrassed and humiliated. And from that day on, I did not walk the halls anymore, obviously, because, you know, my plan was out there. So I would just go in the bathroom stall and I would sit there for 40 minutes and I would cry my eyes out and I would have all these thoughts in my head like, Kyle, why can't you do this? You know, why can't you make friends? Why is it so easy for everybody else? But for you, you know, you're you're this outlier, this weirdo. Why can't you do it? Why aren't you normal? And I, I think that's that last thought is a big one. Why aren't you normal? That was something that I struggled with for a long time of just feeling like I was the only one, you know, feeling like this, the only one who struggled with anxiety and social anxiety. And I, when I finally kind of hit that rock bottom, so to speak, that's when I uh, opened up to my parents, kind of told them what was going on, how I was feeling, what these thoughts were going on in my head. And they kind of urged me to talk to the counselor at school. And so I did that. And that was, that made it bearable for the rest of high school. I, I was at least able to unload all these feelings that I was bottling up for so long that was creating just like this, you know, compression system inside me and to actually be able to relieve all that felt so good, but I, I've still struggled with social anxiety, but like I said, it got me through high school. And so I got into college and I was still feeling like this. Now I was sick of it. Honestly, I remember walking into my apartment bedroom and I remember hearing this voice clear as day inside my head, say to me, Kyle, you have got to do something about this, man. You can't live the rest of your life feeling like this. Like you have got to do something for for this. You know, quit taking pity on yourself. For me, that's what I was doing. Quit taking pity on yourself. Start taking action. And that's when my three-step process was born that not only I used, but I've helped thousands of other people use to go from socially anxious to socially confident. So that's kind of like my... Uh, my kind of overall story and how I got here and why I do what I do. Was there trauma in your life prior to the age of five that could have rooted in your subconscious about, you know, the feeling of not being safe in the world or around strangers? Yeah. So I, I thought about this uh, a few years ago and the, the, this is a, I think this is a good example of not all trauma looks the same. Yeah, you know, yeah. I wasn't, this isn't like severe, like, you know, stuff that you typically think of when you think of trauma, but I can remember in kindergarten, my parents dressed me up um, kind of like I was going to church, you know, nice pants, kind of a, a collar shirt type of thing. And, you know, the other kids dressed in jeans, t-shirt, shorts, whatever. And I don't remember feeling excluded, you know, by my classmates or anything, to be honest, I don't really remember a whole lot of kindergarten but I do remember this. I remember the last day of school, my parents let me wear whatever clothes I wanted to wear. So I wore these black athletic pants and this, this yellow t-shirt and, you know, some tennis shoes. And, and I was feeling good about myself. And I remember being on recess that day 
outside and somebody ran up to me, one of my classmates and said, Kyle, need you to come help me with this mission, you know, playing some sort of game five year, five and six year olds do. And I remember thinking to myself as a six year old, do they just want me to play just because I'm dressed like them now? So I, I believe that it's possible. I don't know, but I believe that it's possible that maybe my social anxiety may have stemmed because I felt like people were, because I felt like there was negative judgment on me because I dressed differently than everyone else. Like I said, that's just a a theory, but uh, it's interesting. Without getting into the subject of trauma, that certainly could have been traumatizing, especially if the body couldn't reconcile the mental experience or the brain couldn't reconcile the body experience. I mean, that's, that's the, the, the most basics of trauma. But my curiosity now stems to, um, does does did your anxiety develop through a hypervigilance of wanting to belong or feeling left out or not feeling, as you said, normal or did you feel in danger in life i wouldn't say i felt in danger but i definitely felt i was out of place i I definitely had a a large lack of self-love for myself i I wanted to fit in i wanted to be like everyone else because i felt like i wasn't good enough sure and I, i talk about how you know, I have, I have really pale skin. I hated that about myself. I have blonde hair. I thought all the cool people have brown hair. I did not like that about myself. I felt like I was judged negatively negatively for these things. And I, I, I focused so much on that. And, you know, I, I just created this little bubble for myself kind of unintentionally and created these false perceptions of what people were thinking about me, even though probably wasn't true. It's incredible because you're, you're talking about, oh, if you, you got to have brown hair and brown eyes to look good. And other people are like, you got to have blue hair and blonde eyes. You got to have red hair and freckles. And like, no matter which way you cut it, anxiety is being normal, being good, being well-liked is something that I'm not. Hmm. Exactly. Yeah. My daughter was telling me this morning, she goes, I wish I had straight hair. And I said, you know what? People with straight hair wish they had curly hair. And people with curly hair wish they had straight hair. <laughs> people with hair wish they were bald. People who were bald wish they had hair. I understand that one. It's incredible. Okay, so now let's let's jump into the experience of the anxiety through high school, through college, things like that. Because I ultimately I do want to discuss the 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 three strategies you came up with that three step process, but. Let's let's deepen the wound because I know a lot of the parents are wondering right out of the gate. So my kid says they can't go to school. They're already failing. I don't know what the problem is. I've asked them any question. Is it your teachers? Is it your friends? Is it the are you being bullied? Have did something happen? Like parents are constantly trying to find the why are you anxious? Can you answer that? Why are kids so anxious? Why is it getting worse? So, I mean, there's a multitude of answers for that question. Of course, everybody's, you know, has is anxious about different things. And I believe we all have that anxious part inside of us. Sure. Uh, some people is, is way more active than others. People's like mine used to be way more active than it is now. But I, I mean, it, it can stem from a lot of different things. You know, for me, it was largely a, a lack of, of self-love. You know, and just some di- different examples of, you know, when I would feel anxious would maybe seem extremely odd or very weird to uh, other people. Like what, really? 
for example, I mean, just blowing my nose in, in class. I, I can remember having to hold snot in my nose because I did not want to blow my nose in front of everyone. I thought people would judge me for blowing my nose, even though everyone else blows their nose in class, right? And But for whatever reason, I was feeling like I would be negatively judged for that. You know, I didn't have that that confidence in myself. I didn't have that that love for myself. And I, I think that's a big thing, especially with social anxiety is, you know, you, you want to learn how to not care what other people think. Lo- love the crap out of yourself. That that whole thing you just said about blowing your nose, man, that really triggered something in me. Um but but it seems like everybody has something like that. For me, it was always about going to bathroom, uh, going to the bathroom in public, you know, in in a in a in a in a McDonald's or in a in a, in a Kmart. I don't know if you know what Kmart is. It was around when I was a kid. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> the the you know that there's there's always a version of that for people. We always have, you know, they like to call it a phobia. They like to call it an anxiety, but the truth is phobias and anxieties have an unreasonable aspect attached to them. Like there's an unreasonable experience of blowing your nose. So can you describe for parents to help them understand their own teens who are struggling with anxiety, what's going on in your head? Like, what's it like up there when you say, I got to blow my nose, but you're in public. What, what happens next? Because everybody else would be like, oh, go grab a tissue. Yeah. So yeah, what's exactly. going on for you in your head? So, I mean, going on for me in my head when I was that teen, you know, wanting to blow my nose, it was, well, I don't, I don't want to bring this attention to me. I'm going to blow my nose. Everyone's going to hear it. People are automatically going to turn their heads, stare at me. That's going to bring a spotlight to me. Don't like that. I mean, for that specific example, that's what's that's what's going through my head, you know, and people maybe, you know, I, I might think that people are negatively judging on how I blow my nose, how loud I do it. Do I need to use two tissues? What if I need to use two or three? That's going to seem really weird if I have to use that many. Then they're going to be really judging me for that. Why? Why is he blowing his nose so much? Is he sick? Is he going to get me sick? And that's just that whirlwind of, you know, constant anxious thoughts, just like, just drilling in your head. And when you have that going, it's like, you know what? I'm just going to hold my nose. I'll wait till, you know, passing period or whatever it's called. And I'll stop at the bathroom and, you know, do it privately. And that's what I would do. Did you ever raise your hand to answer a question in school? Not out of free will. No. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the thing. When I, when I hear parents say to their kids, Oh, I understand. I was young once like, like understanding means, you know, you, you know what the person's going through. You understand it because you've gone through it. Knowledge of what that is, is I think what we're talking about. I have knowledge of what you just said because you just shared it with me, but I can't think I understand that part where, where this, the brain spin gets to the point where you do nothing or does it, does the brain spin just keep going? Does it make the fact that you need to blow your nose worse? And it just, you just get compound interest flipping over in the fact that you could have, it could have been done already. You could have just got a Kleenex. It had been over and everybody would have forgotten and moved on. Oh, it's continuous. It doesn't, I just go through a few thoughts and then it stops and it's like, all right, I'll just wait. 
it's, you know, it's, I'm feeling it the whole time. And it's like, I want to, I want to blow my nose and I keep debating with myself in my head. Well, maybe I can just do it. And then just here comes those whirlwind of thoughts again, just nailing you just constantly boom, 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 boom. But you're thinking about it the entire time. I mean, I'm sure every time that this happened, I didn't hear a word of what was being said on lecture. That was way too inside my head. I had no idea what was going on in class. I guarantee it. So I have a weird question, and this just just came up to me. This conversation is fascinating for me because, again, I want to create knowledge and understanding as much as possible. Is anxiety rooted in arrogance? Now, let me explain this for a second, because you talk about the self-love piece. And someone who grew up, myself, feeling very important and feeling like I needed to be important, and quite frankly and quite honestly, I was expecting a parade. And I was wondering when they were going to call me and say, okay, your spot on the top of the fire truck is ready. You can wave at all of your adoring fans. And the assumption that I was going to be a famous and the assumption that everybody was paying attention to me came from the concept of being abandoned by my father, that, that the only way to be acceptable was to gain and garner the affirmation of others. Is it inherently arrogant to assume that you blowing your nose is something or anything different than anyone else doing it. Why is it that anxiety is about that if you do it, it'll be different than anybody else does it? Or am I completely off the marker here? It's a good question. I've never really thought of it in that aspect. I mean, I, I mean, I, I just look at it now from an outside perspective. Sure, sure, sure. I, I, I think it's the same as anybody else i mean me going to blow my nose is just as you know just the same thing as you know whoever who doesn't struggle with anxiety blowing their nose i mean we're still doing the same act the only thing different is just what's going in my head and what's you know whirlwind and in there and you know once again just wanting to be out of that spotlight not being confident not loving myself enough to not care what others think or what i think they would think no one would actually really care how i blew my nose more than likely did it ever get so bad? Like you didn't go to school or did you always find a way to go to school? So, I mean, I always went to school. I don't think I ever stayed home due to anxiety. I mean, there was definitely times where I did not want to go to school and you know, sure. I wanted to tell my parents, you know, Hey, let me stay, let me stay home from school today. But you know, that never happened. They always, you know, pushed me to go from, to go to school. Um, they didn't know, I struggled with anxiety. I didn't know I struggled with anxiety. Sure. Just thought I was weird. For which I'm a sure, term. <laughs> yeah, which I'm sure didn't help the anxiety piece because there's that yeah. not normal. Did did does anxiety translate to all things, or is it on specific things like blowing your nose, or when you're going through anxious times and episodes? Does it does it cancel everything you're going to do on a Thursday, or just that one thing that you can't get out of your head? I guess it depends on the situation, the scenario. Um, for me, it was any any time I was in a in a scenario where there were other people around that, especially I didn't know. Now, if it's like my family or people that I, I'm really really close to, like I had a, like two, I had like three friends that I was very close with that I'd known basically since I was a baby that I was comfortable with. Doing stuff in front of them wasn't a big deal for me. Now for others, and I've heard that you know they they have gotten anxious in front of family and and whatnot, but for me that that wasn't a thing. But um, 
I'll be honest, I kind of lost my, my train of thought and all this, but uh, what was the question again? The experience of does, does anxiety cancel your whole day or just that one thing you were going to do? For me, it was mostly just anytime I was in an environment where I was around other people, um, especially strangers. Um, a really a really common one that may sound weird if you've never struggled with anxiety or not, but after talking with lots of people and coaching with lots of people, almost everyone with social anxiety feels this, is feeling anxious walking in front of people. People that having these thoughts in your head, like people are judging you for how you walk because you're walking weird right now. It's it's really it's a, it's kind of an odd thing to think of from like looking from the outside, but so many people, including myself, felt that all the time as people are judging me for how I am walking. I mean, it could be for that. It could be standing in line at McDonald's. I mean, really, just anything in that little environment of where I'm around other people, I'm going to feel anxious about it. I mean, just about everything. When you're a parent of a teenager who's struggling with anxiety or depression, dependency, anything like that, I think what we're learning from someone like Kyle is that, and it's definitely what I'm learning, is that the the difference between understanding and having knowledge of the thing taking place, I, I cannot say that I understand social anxiety, but when I listen to Kyle talk, the knowledge helps me create a strategy with which to connect to a teenager. And as a parent, understanding is not necessary. Knowledge of can be, but really what is most important when you're a parent is the context of how you work with your children and how you connect and talk to your thing. You see, content is everybody telling you what you should do in a situation. Your teen feels anxious. Here's what you're going to say first. Here's what you're going to say second. Here's what you're going to say third. That's content. But what I have always taught parents is that it's context that matters. It's not what you say. It's how you say it. It's not what you know. It's how you know it. It's not what you teach. It's how you teach it. To that end, all of my parent coaching is about context, about who you have to become as a parent to be able to work with your child who's struggling. Go to brabapp.com, B-R-A-B-A-P-P.com and download my parenting course. I promise you it is extremely affordable because I want every parent to be able to have access to it. But most importantly, it is 56 sessions of everything I have ever taught parents in the last 20 years of being a parent coach and running a treatment facility for teens and helping the parents who are in the deepest and darkest moments of their parenting paradigm into a new way of being. And that's context. Context is more important than content. I promise you'll love the content of the Beyond Risk and BAP the Beyond Risk and Back, the Brab app. I promise you'll like the content. But what you will come away from in that app is learning how to be a parent of a teen who's struggling. Go to brabapp.com, B-R-A-B-A-P-P.com and download the app. Let's get back to Kyle talking about anxiety. Kyle, you talked about that when you got into college and you 
said to yourself very clearly that one time you're like, all right, time to come up with the strategy on how to get through this, get over it, get past it. Was it a realistic uh, notion to say I'm done when you're dealing with something like anxiety? Is it a behavioral issue or is it just something that you got to have some strategies and some tools in place to get over? What was your experience? So for me, when I got into college, you know, I had that experience that I, that I told you about. That was me committing to myself for the first time, committing to take an action on anything. You know, prior to that point, I, I hadn't had hadn't done anything to try and you know lessen the anxiety or figure out what was going on. Um, you know, probably largely due to my lack of awareness to what it even was. But uh, yeah, I mean, that was that was the big thing was that was that a, that commitment when I heard that inside my head and I had that conversation with myself, it was like, OK, I'm going to do anything and everything to move forward. Like, I can't just sit here and just do nothing like I have to at least take action. If I, if I fail after taking action, that's OK. You know, at least I put out my effort. But, you know, I wasn't doing anything prior to that other than, you know, I, I reached out for help and just be able to unload my feelings which, uh, you know, I suggest everyone to do. That's definitely the first step. But that that was it, was just really committing to myself. And I think that's the first, uh, or that's one step that you have to take is you have to make that commitment because it's it's not going to be easy. It's, it's it's not easy at all. It's, it's a hard thing. And it's good that it's hard because it feels good when you accomplish hard things, right? But it, don't come into it thinking it's going to be an easy task. If it was easy, then everybody would do it. Nobody would have anxiety. One of the strategies that I've heard other experts and people who've struggled with anxiety, and I'm curious about your version or if this was in your your wheelhouse of strategies, which I definitely want to get to, is um, the, the, the setups for safe failures. You know, uh, a guest I had talked about um, open water you know, and, and being on open water. So her strategy was to sit on a sailboat that was moored at a dock and face the open water, knowing that behind her, she's, there's a dock and she can hear the sounds of people in traffic, but she just sat in that space and felt that feeling. Did you, do you have a version of that where you are saying, all right, I'm going to just carry a, a Kleenex around the room and I won't blow my nose today, but, and then the next day I'm going to put the Kleenex up to my nose. And, and I know none of it actually has to do with blowing your nose, but has to do with judgment. Is there a version of safe risk that you began to employ for yourself? Yeah. It's uh, one of the steps in the process that I was, uh, that I referenced earlier is what I call is baby step uncomfortable challenges. Um, essentially, if you've ever heard the term, you know, exposure therapy, yes, of essentially course. what it is. Um, I, I have a little bit varied version on it as far as like what to do before and after type of thing. But yeah, that was definitely the thing that came to mind. Um, you know, when I had that moment of commitment and it was like, okay, what do I do? My mind went straight to something my dad told me when I was in high school that I wasn't ready to hear at that point, but uh, I was ready when I was you know, at that commitment step. And he said, you know what, Kyle, I struggled with he didn't say social anxiety. He said, I struggled with talking to people. I was shy. 
I, you know, I didn't like to talk to people, which was news to me. I thought he was making this up because if you, <laughs> my dad didn't seem like somebody who would be, you know, afraid to talk to people or, or have that fear of judgment from others. And so what he did was he said he went and he lived in Vegas at the time. He went and learned to be a blackjack dealer. And so he started dealing blackjack at uh, the Hard Rock Casino there, you wow. know, in Vegas which is super high pressure job. Huge high pressure. It's kind of a leap right there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's like kind of varied from that. And I was like, okay, I need to expose my anxiety in a safe way. Kind of like you were saying, Uh, for me personally, if I did something like that, it would have been way too big of a step. Sure. No, that apparently worked for him and that's cool. But I was like, okay, I got to find something that's like my own version of that. And so going back to what you said earlier of, you know, did I ever raise my hand? That was my first ever challenge wow. was to raise my hand one time in every single class because I knew looking from an outside perspective that this was something that made me anxious and I didn't need to be anxious about it. I knew I was safe in that moment. I knew I was not in any danger by at raising my hand, yet my brain was producing this anxiety because it felt that I was unsafe and that I was in danger. So I was like, okay, that's going to be my first one. I'm going to raise my hand one time every single class. And I'm just going to go from there. And that's what I started doing. And it started working wonders for me. Uh, After about four, five, six weeks doing it, I started to remove that anxiety from my head. It stopped producing itself. And I started raising my hand four and five times each class, not because I was, you know, trying to best the challenge, but because I actually wanted to. I knew the answer. So many times in my life did I know the answer in my head or I wanted to input but I didn't, I didn't do it because I feared people would judge me or, you know, yada, yada, yada. You said something really important that right before we get to the, I want to, my next question was going to be, let's put these steps in order and tell us the steps. But then you brought up something that suddenly struck me. Every single parent is going to want to do this. And you just called it out. You said your dad told you something and you weren't ready to hear it. Doing something, can you impose these steps on someone else or do parents need to figure out that way to be while their kids are working the steps? Like you can't work the 12 steps for somebody who's an addict. The addict has to go work the 12 steps. I, can you impose the, the these three steps onto someone who's struggling with anxiety? I don't think so. I think it, it going back to commitment again, that person has to make the commitment. I had to make the commitment before it ever happens, you know, before I'm ever able to do that. And it's, it's the same thing I tell with the uh, parents, you know, I have parents reach out to me and say, you know, can you help my son or my daughter? And I'm like, yeah, for sure. Are they wanting to do it? Because if yeah. they're not up for it, there's nothing I can do. I mean, I mean, they have to be mentally committed first to saying like, okay, I'm struggling. I need help. Like, what can I do? You know, I need Kyle's help. All right. Let's, let's hit the steps, put them in order for us. What's step one, step two, step three for these families to start looking and considering. Step one. And I didn't figure these out in order. <laughs> this was kind of a, a sloppy way of, but I eventually, you know, framed it together and had it work for myself. But step one is to shower yourself with self-love. So there's been, tons of studies that if you can shower yourself with self-love, if you can practice self-affirmations, 
you can you can build this love for yourself, feel better. And so that's what I started to do. And I kind of did it on accident at first. You know, I kind of did these little these little pep talks inside my head before, you know, I went into class. It's like, I just got to raise my hand one time, you know. I'm confident I can do this. Like, let's go. Like, just kind of like, you know, getting myself going. And I still do this to this day, but I, I do it in a little bit more organized manner. You know, now I, I walk into my bathroom every morning and that's how I start my morning is I, I walk into the bathroom and I got my speaker and I play some music and I have this, this playlist on Spotify where it plays really, um, uh, really up kind of upbeat kind of music yeah like if you have if you've ever heard uh or if you've ever watched a movie that had like a battle scene in it yeah like the music that's going in the background you know you, when you're watching the scene like kind of gets you hyped up you you feel like you're about to go into battle like that's the music i listen to and while that's while that's playing i start you know speaking these positive affirmations to myself that that i want to believe in myself that that i that i know is inside myself but maybe i haven't made that transition to actually believe that I'm confident yet. Right. It's something that I say all the time is the only difference between a confident person and an unconfident person is the confident person just believes that they're confident. Yeah. They don't have no special gene. So that, that would be the first step. And that's just one way to practice self-love. Um, step two is, you know, what I just explained was to find baby step uncomfortable challenges, find something that makes you just a little bit anxious you know, you don't want to take such a huge step that it, you know, throws your mental health through a loop, makes you even more anxious. You know, you want just enough. I, I use the analogy of think of a pool filled with, you know, anxiety water. You know, we want just enough to get our toe wet. Like that's all. And then you can work your, your foot in after that. And then maybe your ankle. And so, and third step is to one of the most important steps is to reward your efforts, not your results. So the only thing it takes to go outside your comfort zone and do these challenges is your effort. And that's the only thing you can control is the effort that you put out. And sometimes when you do these challenges, you know, it's, it's not going to go the way that you thought it would or how you wished it would. And that's okay. We cannot control the results. There's many, many times. And I, I tell the story all the time. When I, when I raised my hand, I started building some confidence over a few weeks and I raised my hand one time with, you know, all the confidence in the world. I had the right answer. And I said, you know, my answer. And the professor was like, no, that's not right. And I remember feeling this like shame and like, ugh, like embarrassment. And then I had to remember like, wait, my challenge was not to answer one question right per class. It was to raise my hand one time. Like, that's it. That's all I can do is control my effort. So I, I find it so important to focus on the effort side of it. I think so many people, they, they kind of go off because they focus on the result and to kind of help your brain with focusing on the effort is to reward that effort. And it can be, it doesn't have to, you don't have to spend a lot of money on yourself every day or anything like that. It can be something as simple as like a, a special coffee or a 20 minute Netflix break in the middle of the day. So I think it's just really important to reward yourself. And it's just a way to kind of pat yourself on the back. Like, good job, Kyle. Like you put in that effort, you know, maybe you answered the question wrong, but who cares, man? You raised your hand. Like that's what you're trying to do. Like, good job. You. That third one's amazing. And, and I mean, the, the, the first two are, they, they have to be in that order. That has to be in that play. Right. So they make total sense. That third one changes the paradigm. 
because you're so much of why we're in this situation in the first place is because our preconception of what the outcome is going to be. They're going to judge me. They're going to laugh at me there. I'm going to fail, blah, blah, blah. But you're actually shifting the focus to a completely different action and result. Like, yeah, who cares what happens over there? Over here is what I can control. And that's the fact that I did raise my hand. That was it. That's my thing. Oh, he called on me. I got the answer wrong. Everybody laughed. I got kicked out of college. Not my business, right? You know, I love that because not just for the person dealing with anxiety themselves, but the parents need to start to shift their expectations of having a different result. When, when your kid is locked down and locked in their room with anxiety, what you want for them at this point, because so many things might have fallen through the cracks because they're locked down in anxiety, um, you want a lot more than they can actually give, provide. You're, you you got to, it's not dropping the bar, it's changing the concept of happiness. You know, you're not, you're not lowering anything. You're just saying what's going to make people happy is actually living in this entire different realm. It's the fact that you did one thing different today than what happened yesterday. Not that that one thing you did led to you getting back into school. It's just you're doing something different today. You're raising your hand. You're getting a glass of water. You're You're taking the dogs outside for a walk. That's what matters. That's a, that's a powerful one for parents. It is, is, and I, I actually, now that I'm thinking about it, the framing for that second one or, or the first one uh, of showering yourself with self-love is that's important for parents to do too, is you got to change that at the, at the facility. We always have the kids write down those affirmations and put them on sticky notes, framing their entire mirror. So by the end, they've got 40 notes of positive affirming that is surrounding the vision of their face. Do they read each note every single morning? Of course not. They may not read any of them. They see them. It's getting in there. This is amazing. Kyle, how do people find you? How do how does a parent find you and and sign up with you, get your information, start to work with you, anything? As far as social media goes, I primarily hang out on Instagram. You can find me at Social Anxiety Kyle. Um, you can also find my website, socialanxietykyle.com. Uh, I do one-on-one coaching with uh, you know, adults, teens, whatever. Um, just anybody that's looking to go turn that social anxiety into social confidence. I'm your guy. That's, that's what I do. You have a podcast. Yes. I also have a podcast called the social ninjas. It is a a little bit uh, different in in the sense of, you know, it's not focused on teens, but it's actually um, it's focused on mental health for early entrepreneurs I think the statistic is like 49% of entrepreneurs struggle with mental illness. Um, You might have to look that up, but it's a very high number. And it's because we kind of live in this environment where kind of going back to uh, results of or uh, effort over results is this results driven society. And when you're in early entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship, and if you're doing it right, you're failing every day. Every <laughs> just single failing day. Every single day. And that can take a toll on you, man. Like that can really take a toll. And so that's that's the audience we're really trying to serve is through the podcast, at least, is, you know, those early entrepreneurs who are, 
who are just feeling it and feeling like they're failing, feeling like they're not doing enough and it's causing anxiety. And it's just, uh, it's, a, it's a market that's not being helped right now. When they go to the website, socialanxietykyle.com, uh, they can reach out to you there. They, you got some contact there? Yeah, I got a contact form. You can also book a free uh, discovery call with me. I got my calendar on there. So yeah, just pick a time and date and uh, we'll make it happen. And uh, just have a really nice, candid conversation and see if we're a good fit for each other. Anxiety is currently affecting one out of every four teenagers ages 13 to 17. It is not some hidden secret shame, mental health, blame, upbringing thing anymore. It is literally 25% of the adolescent population. It's not gotten better. It's getting worse. Stop. As a parent, you have to stop assuming that this is about willingness. What I have known in 20 years of working with teenagers who have anxiety is that the worst thing I can do, the worst thing we can do is tell them to get over it. Especially if you don't understand what it is they have to get over. And I know a lot of parents can try to chase the causation of anxiety to a point. I did it with Kyle at the beginning of the episode. Was it this? Was it that? Is it your friends? Is it this? And at the end of the day, what it is, is anxiety. And you're not going to be able to place it connected to a singular source. But it doesn't mean you can't deal with it. And I think Kyle steps, immerse yourself in self-love, small steps of, of, that, of that very safe risk, and then getting out there and reframing success based on effort, not results. I want to thank Deepin Productions for producing the podcast and creating this cool music. I want to thank Your Cause Consulting for making sure that this show is getting in front of all the right people. Parents, Take care of yourselves first, your adult relationships second, and your children third, because in that way, you'll do your best work with your children. Please listen, like, subscribe, and share. Please review Beyond Risk and Back. And uh, head over to brabapp.com, B-R-A-B-A-P-P.com, and check out the parenting courses I got for you over there. Thank you for joining me again this week. I'll see you next time.